to be in the house of God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. When I was a missionary, one of my favorite experience uh, was is that, you know, to put on a backpack, fill it up with food and water, and just travel into the Himalayas and just preach the gospel to whoever would hear I remember one time we were coming up on this village and there was a lot of activity, activity coming out of the village. There was a lot of people running back and forth, it looked like from shop to home. And uh, it just it was so strange. And so as I'm walking up to the village, my heart is coming out of my chest and it's just you know pounding. And I'm like, oh Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would keep us safe. <laughs> and Lord, that you would open up their hearts to receive you. And Lord Jesus, that you would bind the principalities and wickedness, these angelic beings who have suffocated these people, who have oppressed them from hearing your truth. I pray that you would bind them and cast them away in the name of Jesus. Imagine for hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years or more, that these angelic beings would oppress these people in such a way they could never hear the truth. They never ever listened or obeyed or obeyed a man. And here we are coming up to the village and we begin to pray in the name of Jesus, you must flee. And for the very first time, they have to respond in the name of Jesus. We walk up to the village and there's tons of people we share Jesus Christ and many get saved. It's a great, yeah, amen. A great work of his Holy Spirit indeed. This morning in Joshua, uh, I should say Joshua, Jonah chapter three is a similar story. God sends Jonah to Nineveh to preach a message. So let's begin now in chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah that says there a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and, and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a, day journey, a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open up our hearts and that you would do the surgery in our soul that's so necessary to see you. We pray that we would know you far better than when we came in through those doors. We pray that we would see your great love and your mercy. Lord, your great grace that you have for mankind as well as for us. Speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse one begins, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You remember the story, he 
is called by God there in Jonah chapter one to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, is, it, it's, they have the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are a hostile people, and no doubt they had entered Israel several times. So Jonah wants nothing to do with them. He doesn't want them to experience God's mercy and love. In chapter five, he says that. I knew, God, you were going to do that. You know? And so he didn't want that. So he got on a ship and headed for Tarsus, and most scholars believe uh, he was on his way to Spain. And so you know the story. He's on the ship, and he, he's down in the cargo bay, and the big waves begin to hinder their progress. And then they begin to cry out to their gods, God, save us. And they were calling out to all different kinds of gods that they worship at the time. And then they began to unload the cargo. And there they find Jonah and they said, who are you and why are you down here? And he says to them, I'm a prophet of God, the God who created the heavens and the earth and this sea. And the reason why you're having this is because of me. Just throw me over the side of the ship and all would go well. You can imagine the people are going, you serve the God that created the waters here and now you want us to throw you over the side? No, we're not going to do that. So they tried with all their might to row. They threw out all their equipment. No progress. So they say, God, please don't lay account this sin that we're going to do upon us. They take Jonah, throw him over the side of the boat, and instantly the waves become calm. It says there in Jonah chapter 1 that those men called on the true and living God and made a vow. I wonder if they were looking over the side of the boat as it became calm and saw Jonah just treading water. And then all of a sudden, this great fish <laughs> swallows him. Can you imagine that story to take home? <laughs> Here he is, you know, treading water, and this huge fish swallows him. Jonah's an interesting character because he wrestles with God for three days. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to wrestle with God for three days. Give me three minutes. Give me an hour, but that's about it. I'm going to give up in a pin position and say, it's your will, God. I'll do it. But Jonah wrestles with God for three days. And on the third day, he confesses his sin. He humbles himself before God and says, your will be done in my life. So God calls that big fish to spit him out on the shore and he comes out. Now remember that he's been in that digestive system of that fish. So he comes out with no hair, white spots, and he looks completely different than anybody on planet earth. And it says there that God came to him a second time. I love that God is the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. Amen. Some of you think that you have done so much harm that God can't use you anymore. And I say that that's not the case. God loves you. He's going to disciple you. He's going to create humility, create humility in you. And then he's going to use you again. Because that's how he works. And that's what he loves to do. So here he is. He says... You know, what now, God? And God says to him a second time, go to that great city of Nineveh. The, the, the plan of God has not changed, but he's changed Jonah's mind. I love that sovereignty and free will works hand in hand in this book. <laughs> Listen to what it says there. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Now, Nineveh was a very important, large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, in chapter 5, it says there that he had he witnessed to 120,000 people. It says that they didn't know their left hand from their right hand. It, it, it kind of seems like he's speaking of children. If that's the case, then there's 600,000 people. But nevertheless, let's leave it at 120. And I put up a chart there to show you the population of something, some cities that are close by. Uh, there's Berkeley, 121,000 people, almost the same equivalent number there. Fairfield, 117,000 people. So we can see that Jonah was coming to a massive city. Can you imagine going to Berkeley and sharing a message from God? <laughs> it took Jonah three days to walk through the city. I've been in some of these cities and all the homes and all the shops are on the main strips and you just walk through them and you can share as, as far as the eye can see and you come back and you take the crossroad and do it. So it's a three-day journey. It says there that he begins to walk through the city. And in my mind, I've done this before. So I kind of comprehend what's going through his mind. There's these fears that begin to set in. There's doubt. In fact, these people are very hostile. In fact, one author writes this. The entire history of the Assyrian is filled with reign of violence, terror, and torture, and killing. The Assyrians created tablets that showed them torturing their enemies to let the next city know what was coming. By the way, they still have these tablets today. These tablets showed them skinning their victims alive, blinding them, and impaling them on a stake, and even cutting their... There's a picture of one guy cutting the guy's tongue, and I'm like, that's descriptive. You know? And I'm like, wow. I don't know about you, but Jonah has some fears. No doubt. And he's, but he's going to obey God. And that's the, the, that's the source. Obeying God's word. It takes you from the realm of fear to the, to the arena of faith. Just God said to go there and make go there for and make disciples. And so I took his promises. And I said, I'm going to do, do it, God. And then you step from that arena of fear to the arena of faith. And God begins to do wonderful works. Now put on top of this Ephesians 6 verse 12, for our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So you have all this demonic warfare that's going on in people's thought, thought uh, pattern. Today, all of you have, most of you have cell phones and there's signals going around and they're communicating with your phone. You can't see them right now, but that's what's happening even this morning. Well, these angelic beings have learned how to speak to your thought pattern. That's why the Bible says that the devil, he is the God of this age. And it says, protect your mind. It says, go to the scriptures and prepare to fight the thought patterns that are going to go into your mind. So you're fighting against this wicked you know, uh, demonic influence in the heavenly realm. And now you're fighting against the, these people that are just crazy. But God told them, and thus he's going. And here's the message he gives. He goes into there, 
And he says there, uh, for 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. No message of grace, no message of mercy or peace. Just the simplicity of of these words, probably because of who these people were. A bunch of rough people. 40 days and judgment is coming. I love the way God speaks and communicates to his people. Sometimes he, do, he, he, he speaks hell and damnation, right? I have a brother. He loves holding a sign. He'll go to parades. He'll go to concerts. And he holds a sign and it says, Jesus loves you. And he's letting everybody see. And those who connect, he shares the gospel with them. But when there's some obscenity or profanity, he turns it around and it says, you're going to hell without Jesus. <laughs> he's crazy, you know? But he loves when, he he really believes that the word of God is going to go deep within an individual's heart some way, somehow, that God will use it. I have a friend who was driving his brand new car, and he was watching his odometer, 500, then it went to 600, 6, you know, 54, and then he went up to 664, and he's watching it, 665, 666, and he pulls over the on the side of the road, and he says, okay, Lord, I confess my sins, and I give my life to you fully, and he's still serving the Lord this day, and I love that, because God can use anything, right? He can use any message, but here to the Ninevites, he uses 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. How will the people respond to this? Jonah walking in with this with all his eyebrows gone and his hair, you know, faded off and all these white, you know, uh, pockets in his skin and he's preaching this message and crowds are gathering around him. Uh, And, and, you know, you don't don't know what they're thinking. Do they want to kill me? Or do they want to hear me? You know, you're you're preaching the message. You're going, whoa. I remember one time I was sharing with these, these men. I came up on the elders meeting and there was a lot of them. And, and I thought, oh my goodness. I, I did it by accident because I couldn't see them. And I was walking through the city and then they all, and I walked and I, I saw them just like you're looking at me and they're all looking at me now because I'm the foreigner. I'm like, oh. you know, my heart starts coming out. And I tell my, my translator, tell them that the creator of the universe has sent me to give them a message and ask them if they want to hear. And your heart is, you know, you, you don't know how they're going to respond. So my translator does it and they said, we want to hear. And so, I give them the gospel message and I said, do you want to receive Jesus? And they all raised their hand and I said, no, 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 no. You guys just want to put Jesus with your hundreds of thousands of gods. Jesus will not accept you unless you get rid of all those false gods. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a good time to run. (laughs) (laughs) Now do you want to give your life to Jesus? And yet the gospel is so powerful, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that it goes deep within people and causes conversion. But your heart is still wondering, how are they going to react? Let's read verses 5 through 10. It says, the Ninevites believe God and his word. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, 
And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, in verse 8, but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence, their repentance. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. These people responded to this message in a glorious way. This is what we call the great awakening. It's when God comes supernaturally into a people group that doesn't know him and begins to open up their hearts to his will and who he is. And I love that because, you know, I think of the many times that I've gone to the university thinking, how are they going to respond to me? And I remember I was speaking to a crowd of young people and I was sharing with them that they must repent and give their lives to Jesus. But there's a problem. If God hasn't come to you first, you can't come to God. And they said, what? Are you telling me we can't come to God? And I said, you can't come to God. He reveals himself to you. He comes in the depths of your soul and opens you up and then you can see him. What do you mean? I can't see God and I can't receive him. Well, let's see if God's calling you. Do you want to receive God in your life? It was awesome. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, God has revealed himself to you. <laughs> Repent of your sins and get right with God. I love it. The great awakening is a term used that describes God's wooing of hearts, convicting of sin, and turning of hearts towards himself. This great awakening is so powerful, and we've seen it throughout the world. We've seen it in Ireland, and, and, I, and I just can't place that man's name that missionary that went to Ireland. And Ireland was typical like Nepal. They just worshiped and served many gods. But when he went there, he shared Jesus Christ and him crucified, a true and living God. And there was a great awakening. Same back today. We just had that celebration. <laughs> it was beautiful. An amazing work of God's spirit. The Ninevites, look at these four principles to a great awakening. First one in verse five, the Ninevites believed God and his word. They believed in who God is and they believed in his word that he was going to bring judgment. That's the first one, believing in God and believing in his word. The second one is found in verse five. All of them from the greatest to the last put on sackcloth. We must come to God with humility. You must set aside your pride. These were a very prideful people. They were warriors and they battled with all their might. And yet they set everything aside and they put on these old rags and sat in the dust and they humbled themselves before God. 
Psalms 51, verse 17 says this. King David writing, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. God will never turn from a man or a woman who comes to him with humility. So important. In verse 8, but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Listen, there has to be repentance. There has to be a turning away from your old lifestyle. Young believers, sometimes I can't. I see you going back to your old lifestyle. Style. That has to change. There's a repentance there's an attorney doing a 180 and going the opposite direction. And what God says in his word, we start believing and we start living it out. And in this case here, true repentance is being done. I, I love the story of John the Baptist when he says a similar message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember that in the area of Jordan and Judah there? And thousands upon thousands of people were moved by the Holy Spirit and they came and they repented. They, got, they, they went into the water and they were baptized. And so John the Baptist calls out the religious leaders. He says, hey, if you want to show a heart of repentance, come out here and get baptized, you brutal vipers. I mean, he called them out, man. Show it by your actions. Show it by your life. Repentance has changed. And finally, it's not recorded in here, but holiness, it's being set apart for the purpose of God. Set apart for the purpose of God. This generation experienced a great awakening in their nation. They turned to God. And when you read that particular history, it says that they prospered. They they lived a prosperous life living for God. In fact, judgment didn't come upon them until 100, 150 years later, upon a different generation. This was a great move of God because he loves all mankind. Amen? Amen. Listen, I think of the, you know, the, the application is very simple. The, the application for this message is simply how can we bring about a great awakening as christians we're commanded to seek god in a similar fashion as they did in the great awakening and we would call it a revival we need a revival in the christian community we need a revival in our personal life we need a revival in such a way that we would do the very thing that they did, seeking God with all their hearts, believing in him and believing in his word. By the way, in the church today, the word of God is under attack. Think about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What are they trying to push on you? Evolution, right? And, and, and I, someone shouted out last Sunday afternoon, that 60% of the scientists do not believe in evolution, right? Because there's macro and micro. You know, you have changes within the kind, but not from one kind to another. You'll never see that 
in the fossil records. Darwin said himself, if you could see, if there was no evidence of one kind turning another kind, throw the whole theory away. They're finally starting to do that. But now they're coming with this idea of aliens. You're like, oh, really? Now you, now you really lost your mind. Aliens? Oh. The Bible's under attack. God created man and female. Oh, my. Even the churches are starting to believe the garbage that's being taught. Marriage, God says, between a male and a female. Ooh, under attack. The roles of men and women under attack. Purity, right? You think about all the truth. There's no absolute truth. There's no morals. We're just a bunch of evolutionists that are bouncing off each other. We're just a bunch of chemicals bouncing off each other and doing whatever we want. No, 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 no. God says there's morals in his words. God says there's truth. We got to get back to loving God and his word. We do. If we want revival to start in our lives, we need to go back to his word. The second thing that you, you would see there is humbleness. Getting rid of your pride. How many of you men remember the day that you set aside your pride? And women too, but you know, I think of the men, we're a bunch of rough guys, you know. Oh, no, I'm not gonna bow down to anybody, you know? And, and and yet God comes in and begins to do that spiritual surgery. My my friend came from San Diego to visit me today. His name's Johnny White. He's in the back. He's he's my big brother over there. He's gonna hide. <laughs> He came to a Bible study one day as a non-believer, and he sat in a chair next to me. He didn't know I was the pastor. And he, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, I don't belong here. And I looked at him, and I just laughed. <laughs> None of us belong here. <laughs> God began to take this man and transform him, that he would fall on his face in absolute surrender. Humility, we need that again in the church. God, who's the great I am, and we're just a speck of dust. We praise him with all our might and soul for who he is, and we're just this little, little creatures. Those who come to him with a contrite heart and a right spirit, he will never, never turn away. The next thing that we see is repentance, 180. Going the opposite way. We're, listen, there's no perfect Christian. You know, there's, there was this idea that, you know, there's holiness and there's perfection and you have it for the rest of your life. And, you know, I had a couple of friends that said, you know, that, you know, I haven't sinned for 10 years. And I'm like, <laughs> one, one guy said 20 years. And I'm like, the problem is I knew his wife very well. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> one man, he says, I haven't sinned in 10 years. And he came and made an accusation against one of the believers in our church. So I brought the guy up and I said, come here, this guy's saying this about you. Is that true? He says, no. I said, he said, no. He says, what's wrong with you, Pastor Bond? You don't believe the word of God. And he's scolding me. And, I, and I'm like, why are you scolding me? You know? and, and he says, you must be teaching Mormons. You must teach doctrines of Jehovah Witness and all these. And I'm like, now nah, you just sinned. Now you have to start all over. You're on day one now, brother, for lying <laughs> and accusing me falsely. I, I took advantage of that and just 
called it like it is. I felt sorry afterwards. I was like, yeah, day one now for you. So go buy me a gift and bring it back, you know. If you're really going to follow the word of God, you know. Listen, there's no perfect Christian. We're just forgiven, but we're aiming. We're aiming towards Christ Jesus. And, we're, and he comes in and he's changing us daily. He's doing the work so that he gets the credit. So I like losing weight. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm trying. But you know, you, you can put your mind to it. But to defeat sin in your life, oh, that's a wrestling match. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to lose. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and transform you. And he does that for, from glory to glory. Listen, in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis, it says, you know, you think you're alive, but you're dead. But he says, but there's some of you that are going to receive white garment, garment that stands for righteousness, perfect righteousness. We're going to be given that clothing when we're in heaven. And until then, try our best. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Repentance, doing a 180, agreeing with God and changing your direction in your life. Young believers, you got to change. No more drunkenness. No more drugs. You know, Corinthians talks about that, where Paul says, listen, some of you were like this before, and he names it all. He begins the homosexuals, the drunkenness, the adulterers, and, you know, the, the ones that he uses, witchcraft, pharmacia, drugs. He says, some of you were like that. No longer, though. Turn away. Turn away. Repentance. And the last one is we need Holiness. We need a surrenderness that says, God, I believe you, and here I am. Use me. It's being set apart. Yeah, it has a lot to do with more right living, but it has a lot more with surrenderness. I'll do whatever you ask, Lord. We need a revival. We need those four principles in our own lives. We need them in our church. We need them. We need, we need it as all the churches in America. We need that once again. And until that happens, we're not going to see the great awakening that we need so desperately in America. I love, start, I, I love studying about the great revivals of the past. Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s, you know him. He wrote, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, Right? The, the idea behind that is that, listen, if you're going to try to go, heaven, go to heaven in your own merits, you fall into the hands of an angry God. He's going to deal with sin, and you're going to end up in eternal hell. Listen, when he read the letter, he would just read it like this. Uh, sinners in the hand of God. And he didn't even look up. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. And he would read that letter. And then all the people began to come out into the rows there and begin to crawl to the altar. The Holy Spirit took that sermon, put it deep within people's hearts, and great conviction. The gospel began to spread throughout all of the 13 colonies. And there was a great revival. Listen, there was no longer any pubs to go to because they were, nobody was going to them. They said it was normal to walk in the towns and hear people singing Christian songs. 
Oh, I long for that day once again. <laughs> there was others that were with him. John Wesley, who began the Methodist movement, and George Whitfield, who came from England. He preached the, you know, the fiery sermons in America, and there was such a great awakening. So many came to Jesus. In the early 1800s, Charles Finney offers a fiery message of repentance. This was his message in the big tents. Jesus calls everyone and anyone can come. Come, all you that need Jesus. And they were coming by the droves and getting right with God. In the late 1800s, we have D.L. Moody. Remember him? He begins a Bible study for street kids. You remember this story? He's from the street. He's uneducated. He, he, he works on shoes. And he sees all these street kids, his peers, and he goes to church, gets saved, and he goes, I'm going to bring all these kids. He brings all these kids, and they're roughies. He brings them from the street, brings them and says, Pastor, you've got to teach them. He said, no, you teach them, D.L. Moody. He begins to teach these roughies, and then a great revival breaks out. He preaches to over a million people. Amazing work of God's grace. In the early 1900s, we have the Azusa Street Revival, William J. Seymour in Los Angeles, of all places. Can you believe anything good thing comes out of Los Angeles? <laughs> the church was on the 312 Azusa Street, and, the, and, and it sparked what we call the Pentecostal movement. And there was a great revival, a great awakening, because this man was preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and the last one in the 1960s to the 1970s, we have Billy Graham and a few others, but Chuck Smith is in there. He's our pastor that passed away. Yeah, amen. He started the Calvary Chapel movement. There are now over 1,900 churches. There's, there's more than that. He doesn't know. There's more in Asia where we've been at. There's a lot more. And, but there's, think about that time. I want to read this quote from you. It's from Time Magazine. April 8, 1966. The, it, it, the Time Magazine covered posed this question, is God dead? No one trusted the politicians. The adults didn't trust the young teenagers. The teenagers didn't trust the adults. They were in tremendous sin, smoking all kinds of garbage and sticking all kinds of stuff in themselves and, and, and running around naked. And it was just a sinful place. So Time Magazine writes, is God dead? Five years later, watch this. Five years later, 1971 issue of Time describes a spiritual awakening. Jesus is alive and well and living in a radiant spiritual fervor of a growing number of young Americans. Oh my goodness, the Jesus movement. I came on the latter part of that movement. A great movement of God's Spirit. Looking back on the revivals, all of them, it was a divided nation just like today. Sin is everywhere. The people don't trust each other. Even in the church, we're so divided. Darkness, sexual immorality is rampant. It's so dark today in America. But in the darkest of nights, the glorious gospel shines forth. Amen. 
Amen. We need a revival. We need a revival in our own lives. We need a revival in our church. We need a great awakening in America. Listen, it's either great awakening or it's judgment. I'm praying for a great awakening. Listen, we, I, I have this privilege of teaching the young adults on Thursday nights with Pastor Ben, and it's growing. There's 50 plus young adults that are coming. But in that group, are some zealous men and women. And I point to them all the time. I'm old. And I don't know how long I got on this earth to be used by God, but you guys. There's a lot of them right there, so I'm pointing to them. You guys. God's going to use you as an instrument of his hand. But why not all of us? Why not you? Why not me? Two revivals in L.A. Come on, let's have one in San Francisco. Come on, let's have one here in Northern California. Will you join me in praying for our personal lives? Praying for a revival in our church? Praying for a great awakening in America? If God can reach Nineveh, God can reach America a sixth time. Amen? Those of you that can, will you come out onto the rows and, and humble yourselves and kneel down? Those of you that are stuck in the rows, that's okay. You want to stand up. Whatever you like, I'm going to kneel down. But let's pray. Come to God with humility and ask him for a work of his spirit. Father, we come to you, Lord, and acknowledge you. We believe in you, God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in your word. Help us to hold on in these days to your word, not to look to the left or to the right. I pray, Lord Jesus, that for this, these believers this morning, Lord, that we wouldn't be dismayed by what's being said or done in the U.S., but we would just hold on to your word and who you are. And Lord, we come to you with humility. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We set aside our pride, our arrogance, the waving of our fist. We set it aside and say, have your way with us. Forgive us. We recognize who you are. You're the great I am. And we're just a dust speck here on planet Earth. We're just your creation. But you find so much joy in us. You created us for your good pleasure. And so we bow down before you with humility. And Lord, we repent of our sins. We confess, Lord, that we are weak. And we don't we don't want to walk that way anymore. We don't want to walk down that road of the flesh, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We want to turn to you in your ways, in your purpose in our lives. Give us the strength, Holy Spirit. Give us the victory over the flesh. We agree with your word. We repent of our sins. And Lord, we want to be set apart.
We want to be used by you as an instrument of your hand. This morning, revive us. Revive this church. May we see revival. May we see revival in all the churches throughout America once again, Lord. And we're praying for a great awakening. We plead with you, Jesus, by your precious blood that was spent for us. Holy Spirit, have your way. In the name of Jesus, we cry. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.